Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. You have an outline in your bulletin. Same outline you had last week. Ephesians 4, 4 and following. I'll read this from the NIV Bible, and then I'll read it from the Message Bible also. Just a few verses where it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That very same scripture from the Message Bible, where it says this. I like this. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Let me pray. So God, we have enough to worry about. That is, we're very, very sure. Speak to us. Through dangerous surrender, speak to us that we would take at least one more, maybe it will be a dangerous step for some, one more step closer to you. In the name of Christ our Lord, I pray. Amen. Doing just two Sundays on this theme called Dangerous Surrender. Let me just talk a little bit about how we introduced this last week. In Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42 in the Sermon on the Mount, it mentions that if someone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. And so out of the, that theme, one mile, two miles, the Roman guards could force you to go one mile, then you would volunteer to go two miles, I come up with this idea of dangerous surrender. There's one-mile surrender, there's two-mile surrenders, and then there's three-mile surrenders, and there's four-mile surrenders, and you might think there, you can go on and on on how that would go, but I'm just going to go one, two, three, four, four-mile surrenders. When you get to the fourth mile, that is dangerous surrender. But God doesn't ask us to go just the second mile. There are a few that he would call out to go the third mile or the fourth mile. Now, I can put this dangerous surrender in a lot of different terms and how it would play itself out in our lives. But since I mentioned giving, let's do this. First mile surrender people drop something in the offering. Okay? Second mile surrender people tithe. Third mile surrender people, they would tithe and then they would cheerfully look for other opportunities to give to kingdom causes. That's third mile. Fourth mile, dangerous surrender people. 
These people are giving away more than they keep. Purposely not living to the fullest extent of their income so that they can give more to kingdom causes. That's dangerous fourth mile surrender. When it comes to prayer, we can explain this by prayer too. Fourth mile surrender by prayer. First mile surrender, those people read the prayer request and do nothing. But at least they read them. Mm -hmm. Second mile, dangerous surrender people. They will read the prayer request and then probably send up a short prayer. Nothing wrong with short prayers. All of us have lived in life sometime or another where we've just given short prayers. Pop-up prayers, I guess is what they call those. That's better than no prayer at all. Third mile surrender people in the prayer life there, they will really pray. They'll do something. They will get they will really pray. They will stop what they're doing and pray. But the fourth mile dangerous prayer people, they will go to prayer crying out to God to do exceedingly more than they are able to ask. They will enter into their prayer closet as a prayer warrior having intercessory prayer. Another way to explain the four miles of dangerous surrender, one mile, people, this talks about the events in our life, the events in our life. One mile, dangerous surrender people, they will complain about everything. Maybe they even haven't even got to the first mile marker yet, but they will just complain about everything, and everything that happens in their life is somebody else's fault. That's the first mile. Second mile, dangerous surrender people, they know that God may be at work. They understand that principle, but they don't like what God is doing in their own life. They're just at the second mile. Now, third mile, dangerous surrender people, they know all about the surrendered life. At one time or another, they probably had a completely surrendered life, willing to enter into the battle against the unseen enemy. Somewhat. The fourth mile dangerous surrender people. These people know that everything is happening in their lives. God really is in charge. And while they may have to struggle with how it's all unfolding, they recognize that when it's really all unfolded in their life, God is working out everything for their good and for his good and he's working out everything so that they will get the largest reward possible in heaven. See, we don't get our reward just here. In fact, if all we want is our reward here, we're in trouble. Sometimes God has things happen to us so that he can give us a larger reward in heaven and we can enjoy it forever. Small group, sometime or another, maybe you can just come with your small group. You can figure out another one, two, three, four miles of dangerous surrender and how that plays itself out in your life. Now, to your outline. Last week we talked about dangerous surrender being an adventure. You know, just uh, not a pontoon boat ride, not, not a golf cart ride. No, dangerous surrender life is in for it for the adventure. Number two in your outline. The dangerous surrendered life becomes a miracle life. A miracle life. I'm going to have a lot of illustrations here. I'm going to get going here in a moment. 
Ephesians 3.20 says this, By his mighty power at work within us, God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we dare to ask or hope. And those words, infinitely more, in the NIV, are exceedingly abundant, exceeding abundantly in the King James. And the Message Bible uses this phrase, more than you could ever imagine or guess. So, by his mighty power at work within us, God is able to do infinitely more, exceedingly abundantly, more than you and I could ever imagine or guess. Matthew 9, verses 28, 29, and 30. You have the story of the two blind men. Two blind men who were following Jesus. Jesus goes into a house, and the blind men follow him into the house. And they cry out to Jesus. Haven't really ever seen Jesus, of course. They've just heard about what he's doing. They cry out to Jesus. Have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus asks them this question. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, we believe. Then he says, according to your faith, it will be done. And then he touched their eyes. I just kind of think that he probably had them, one on the right, one on the left, and he touched their faces. He touched their eyes at the same time, and then they could see. Us who have eyesight, we cannot begin to imagine what it's like for someone to be blind and then all of a sudden be able to see. We can't comprehend that, not at all. You can close your eyes and try to walk around and everything, but you know you can open your eyes and sooner or later you're going to be able to see. But to be blind and then in a moment, in an instant, Jesus touches you, and you are forever changed. You see people for the first time. You see people. Gee, I didn't think that's the way you looked, you know. You see people for the first time. Hard to imagine that. You see dirt for the first time in that society. You see dirt, and they see buildings, they see trees, and they see grass. And they see the color of the world. The color of the world. Blind person has no idea about color. You know how come I know we have a God that loves us? Because he created the world with color. He could have created it just black and white. It could have looked like a 1950 television show, I Love Lucy. That's how he could have created it. But think about this. We have a God that loves us because he created the world with color. A blind person has never seen the fall leaves, never seen the white snow, never seen green grass. Never actually seen Jesus. The miracle of sight. Let me give you several illustrations here about lives that are miracle lives. 
And the last one's going to be a, an illustration about a life in Angola. Billy Graham. All of us know the name Billy Graham. I spent a whole week at the Billy Graham Crusade in Chicago. This must have been 71, 72. Must have, yeah, probably in the spring of 72. Spent the whole week there. I remember when Billy Graham came to Notre Dame Stadium. And we, uh, came, did you go to that, that one? Anybody go to the one who was at, when he was at Notre Dame? You probably sang there. Huh? So, <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, I went, went to that. that. That was amazing. Billy Graham was a farm boy. Let me ask this. How many have ever been down to the Billy Graham Museum down in Charlotte, North Carolina? Anybody? Anybody? Never? You've got to make that trip. You've got to run around there as you're heading to, heading to Florida. It is worth the trip. Worth the trip. We were there right after it opened. Uh, purposely went there right, at, right after it opened because I've been a follower of Billy Graham for a long, long time. He was a farm boy who got up to milk cows at 3.30 every morning. Can you imagine that? Anybody milk cows at 3.30 in the morning? Got, 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 a, got one or two here. Got farm boys. Okay. I, I didn't do the 3.30 thing. Not at all. But got up and milked cows before you went to school in the morning. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he got home from school, he milked cows again. And yet God would use him. Here's the biggest thing about Billy Graham. God would use Billy Graham to speak to more people in person than anyone ever in history. And that will never be repeated in our generation or ever again because of videos and TV and everything. He just comes along at a time when TV hadn't been fully developed, but yet travel and all of that. He speaks to more people in person, not just about Christ. Of course, he spoke to them about Christ, but speaks to more people in person than anyone ever in history. And that will not be repeated. Fanny Crosby. Jim, I should have had you come up here and do this one. Fanny Crosby, blind at, the, at six weeks old, and yet she would see Jesus with her spiritual eyes. And it says that she wrote up to 9,000 hymns, perhaps had the greatest influence on church music than anyone, dangerous surrendered life. D.L. Moody, his Sunday school teacher said of him, I have seen few people whose mind was as spiritually dark as Moody's was when he came to my Sunday school class. Isn't that something? It was said of Moody that he would probably never become a Christian of clear conviction and he would never be a person of influence. Well, we know the rest of the story because of a surrendered life, don't we? The rest of the story. All of us have read D.L. Moody's books in one way or another. In fact, if you are a reader of biographies and autobiographies of the great leaders, readers of the great leaders of the generation before us today, every one of those people, every one of them had a mountain to overcome in human terms, had a mountain to overcome. They had to make dangerous surrenders that God would use them in one way or another. One of, the, one of the books I've read all on quarantine since March was a book titled Yet Speaking. It's the life story of Joseph Ramsire, founder of the Missionary Church Association 
Anyone familiar with that name? Joseph Ramsire, founder of the Missionary Church Association, which would be the other side of the United Missionary Church. We, you, you guys here are United Missionary Church, but the Missionary Church Association comes out of Fort Wayne. So I read his book about his life story, yet speaking. So he, the group that he's with founds the Missionary Church Association, which is the, they in turn found Fort Wayne Bible College. Joseph lived from 1869 to 1944. Now get this. At the age of six, his family moved from Canada to the, I got to get the right hand here, the Thumb of Michigan. Mm-hmm. At the age of 12, he read the entire Bible in German. At the age of 12. At the age of 21, while plowing in the field with a team of horses, he had what he called his willow bush experience, where the Holy Spirit came upon him so profoundly, he was forever changed. And from that point on, he traveled across the United States, holding tent meetings wherever he could go, the first 10 years, it was Joseph and his sister. Then after that, it was Joseph and his wife. And they traveled by horse and buggy. you got to get the age where this all unfolds. Horse and buggy, stagecoach, train, and in the end, by automobile. And he'd get a lot more done when he could travel by automobile. <laughs> yeah, could be. This is a good one here. A lot, a lot of stories here. Almost all of us stayed with a family in the area where they were having tent meetings. In one home... One home had a new floor put down every Saturday night. One home he stayed in had a new floor put down every Saturday night of dried cow dung. I just got to look at expressions on the ladies' faces here. Uh huh. If you can imagine that. One of the homes only had two beds, and there were ten people. So five males slept in one bed, and the five females slept in another. Another time, they asked the host if, where they were staying if they could have two sandwiches to take with them because it was the only food they were going to have for two days. Such was the dangerous, surrendered life. The Ramsires were almost always out of money, many times having spent all their money to buy tickets to a trip to the next city, Asking God to provide along the way. Married for 44 years. They spent 37 of those years in a two-room apartment at Fort Wayne Bible College. 37 of those years in a two-room apartment. Then a home was built for the president. And through it all, this summarizes the book. Through it all, souls were saved, people snatched from the fire, and God blessed them big time. Could say an awful lot more about that. Joseph Ramsire. Dangerous surrender. Let me tell you the story about Bill. Bill's in heaven, so I can tell his story now, purposely not using his last name because of the people that watch us that are not from, from this area. But most everyone will know, know this story. Bill was the county drunk. The county drunk. Worse than a rascal. Foul-mouthed lived at the bars. This unfolds, I believe, in 1976. His wife was attending the church at that time. We're having marriage trouble. Would you come out and talk with Bill and me? So I set up a time to go out and talk with them. I arrived there. Bill's not there. He knew that the preacher was coming, 
But he left because he did not want to talk with the preacher. So I stayed just for a short time. The wife, the kids were there. I stayed just for a short time. About two weeks later or, or so, I get a phone call from Bill. Bill says, I hear you want to talk with me. I said, yeah, I want to talk with you. I want to talk with you. Now, he was the county drunk, and he was self-employed, so he could arrive at work drunk, and no one cared. I never knew him as the county drunk. I never knew that side of Bill. So Bill and I, we meet together in the back lawn at the church there, under the trees. I don't remember how long we talked. I really don't. But I do remember this. I took with me to that meeting, sitting in two chairs and under the shade tree, two pamphlets called the Four Spiritual Laws. You ever heard of that, Four Spiritual Laws? Yeah, I mean, they uh, used them for a long time. Now you use a more contemporary, contemporary one. Bill and I sat there and talked. And eventually we went through the Four Spiritual Laws. And Bill accepted Christ that day under the trees. Under the trees. His life was radically dangerous surrender changed. Changed. He does get the divorce from his wife at that time. I'm going to say it was probably five or six years later, four or five, six years later, he gets married to another lady who was and still is a saint. She's still alive. Remarried, actually. She worked for Child Evangelism Fellowship at the time. And when Bill got remarried, there were five pastors in that service. Five of us. Because we said, Bill, it's going to stick this time. <laughs> it's going to stick this time. And I'm not exact, exaggerating when I say that 40 years later, people still talk about the change that took place in Bill because of his dangerous, surrendered life. Your life can be a miracle if you really want to surrender dangerously to Christ. Someday I'll give you other stories like that. To your outline again. When you give your life to Christ, He will make your heart peaceful. He will make your heart peaceful. Now, it may seem like a contradiction of terms to us, to people who are not spiritually minded. It's a contradiction of terms to be radically dangerous, surrendered to Christ, and yet have your heart be at peace. The peace comes from the presence of God. God's presence brings peace. And even in the middle of the storm, a lot of things may be happening around us, and that is certainly true today, isn't it? But even in the middle of the storm, you can have a peace that passes all understanding just by living in the presence of God.
John 16, 33 says this. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That same verse from the Message Bible, I have told you all of this so that in trusting me you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart, I have conquered the world. I want to talk about troubles for a moment here. It's easy for all of us, and all of us have been guilty at this at one time or another as we walk through life. It's easy for all of us to focus on our troubles. There's not a one of us that at one time or another hasn't focused on the troubles instead of on Christ. We live in a world that is full of troubles. The evening news is 98% trouble, isn't it? In fact, I used to be a news junkie. I turn it off now. I turn it off. I say, uh, well, I can't tell you what I say, okay? I, I, I just, because you say the same thing. I, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. Maybe I've told you this story. Let me say it, say it again. Both of our sons were involved in TV news for, for a while, a long while, actually. Mm-hmm. Andy in front of the camera as a news anchor, Tony behind the camera as a news cameraman. When Tony worked in Indianapolis, he was supposed, supposed to get off at 10 o'clock at night, but I was kidding him all the time. Tony, at 10 o'clock at night is when they start shooting people down there. <laughs> And sure enough, you know, someone shot somebody, and, and uh, he's supposed to get off at 10 o'clock. So, Tony, go get a picture of the shooting. Well, the guy that shot him still might be there. Just be careful and go get a picture of the shooting. My comments to my boys, this is cheerful for me, comments to my boys, many times were, what you guys are experiencing is not normal. And that concerns me. The news, if it's on the news, it's not normal. My life's not on the news. Your life's not on the news. It's only when abnormal things happen it makes it to the news. So if it's on the news, it's not normal. You guys are always dealing with the abnormal. And that concerns me. They would reassure me, Dad, we don't believe what we what we're, we don't believe that this is normal. What we do at all, that's just not life. But TV news is trouble. The newspapers, the front page of the news, newspaper, it talks about trouble. Our prayers are often about, God, help me with this trouble. You get a phone call early in the morning, it's trouble. Mm-hmm. Get a phone call after 9 o'clock at night, it's trouble. And where God has placed me in my position in life, those late night phone calls, those early morning phone calls, the first thing, Linda and I think, what's wrong? Where is it coming from? And with caller ID, sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Where I live, I can hear the fire engines leave. Trouble. The ambulance come and go. Somebody's in trouble. The life flight helicopters come. Somebody's in trouble. Gun sales are at an all-time high. I won't have a show of hands how many have bought more guns. I won't, you don't have to show your hand on that, okay? <laughs> you know, but uh, 
preparing for trouble. Maybe going to make trouble. I'm done talking about trouble. And in the middle of all the trouble, the fully surrendered, fourth-mile, dangerous, surrendered life can be at peace. A peace that passes all understanding. There is a peace in the heart that comes from God that even for spiritually-minded people, when you are experiencing everything going on around you that's falling apart, there is a peace in the heart that comes from God that even you do not fully understand. You know, much of the world would say God is a God of war. God is a God of pain. Much of the world would say God is a God of suffering. So why doesn't he stop war? Why doesn't he stop pain? Why doesn't he stop suffering? But that, of course, is not the right image of God. Maybe if you read the Old Testament, you get that image of God. But even in the Old Testament, there was this voluntary offering called the offering of peace. So you got all the burnt offerings and everything that you were required to do, but one of the voluntary offerings was the offering of peace. In the book of Numbers, that offering, a peace offering, was two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling Lambs, and only a farmer would understand how much meat and blood is involved with that without the sacrifice of blood. In Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, the prophecy about the coming of Jesus, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. In the increase of his government and his peace will know no end. When the angels were announcing his coming, peace on earth, goodwill to men. When Jesus was talking to his disciples about his departure, one of the things he said to them, my peace I give to you. And when he comes again and sets up his millennial kingdom, it will be a kingdom Marked by peace. The lion lays down with the lamb, and the lamb is not devoured by the lion. The one that makes me shudder, a child puts his hand in the snake's nest. <laughs> I don't want to test that one. Uh, even in the age of peace, I don't want to test that one. Mm-hmm. And he won't be bitten. They will beat their swords into plowshares. And what that really says is that the military machinery of the entire world will be used to produce food in an age of peace. And for many governments, the biggest part of their budget is the military. And all of that will be used to produce food. It will be the biggest job retraining project in human history. And there will be peace when they beat their swords into plowshares. Everyone that's in the military becomes a farmer. But in the meantime, we live in a world that's full of trouble where God gives the fully surrendered heart peace. A peace that passes all understanding. Philippians 4-7, our scripture reading this morning. And that peace will transcend 
all understanding. Look at just some of these words here. Transcends, passeth in the King James. It means, it means high above. There is a peace that is high above the troubles. All. A study of the word all in the Greek is very interesting. Because for us English people, all means all. But actually, all doesn't mean all in the Bible, as it's translated. But this all does mean all. It's a radical all. The radical all. A peace that transcends all understanding. Like, your mind cannot begin to comprehend what I'm going to do in your heart, because I'm going to give you a peace. There's a lot of things in this world I do not understand. A lot of things. This list could be as long as my trouble list, okay? A lot of things I don't understand. But I'll just make this simple for us. I don't understand how my cell phone works. You don't understand how, I don't understand how, how, how that thing works. Not, not at all. I don't understand how my computer works. In fact, uh, in, in the olden days, if my computer had the wrong screen come up, I just called my secretary and said, I got the wrong screen here, something's wrong. You know, I didn't even know how to put buttons to push. Sometimes I'd turn it off and turn it back on, and that was not the right thing at that time. I don't understand how my computer works. I certainly don't understand how the copy machine works. Mm -mm. Almost everything electronic, I don't understand. I don't understand the peace that passes all understanding, but I know that it's real. I know that it's real. And you do too. In the middle of all the trouble, we can have peace. Lord willing, I'll come back to this topic again sometime. But next Sunday we need to do Thanksgiving, and then we need to do Christmas, and then New Year's, and we'll go on from there. Let me pray with you. So even now you may be experiencing a lot of trouble in your life. God says I can give you peace. A lot of turmoil. God says, I can give you peace. Thank you, God, for the peace that passes all understanding. We don't understand it. You told us we'll never understand it. But we know that it's real because of our relationship with Christ and because of the surrendered life. Thank you for these good people. In Christ's name, amen.